Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, and welcome everybody to another episode of Hot Strickland. I'm your host. Shwini Poon, this is episode 305. I am not joined today by my co-host Stacy, who is traveling abroad currently, uh, but I am joined by longtime friend, guest, basically co-host essentially at this point of the pod. His name is at FrankBarrett119 on Twitter. You know him as potentially Jeffrey Rasmussen. Jeff, how are you doing today? Um, really good. Um, as you can see by my, you know, tagline, I'm, I'm happy Jokic is finally going to hopefully start get recognized as I think he should have all along. We can talk about that more later, but more importantly, uh, it's just felt like too long since the Knicks were eliminated. And I feel like stuff is going to start happening again. That's relevant to the team we care about. So that's exciting to me. Uh, I agree. Uh, I do imagine things will be picking up, and we will be talking about things related to um, the Knicks and basketball. But before we do that, I do have to make a few announcements. The first being that the Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. That is at the Strick.land on Instagram. We are posting all kinds of new content out there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel. If you haven't done so already, that would be a huge help to us strickland also has merchandise jeff was so kind as to rock some of that today so if you're watching the youtube you can uh see a potential purchase uh on show right there uh you can check that out on our website we have sweatshirts we have t-shirts hats coffee mugs even water bottles uh check it out we got all kinds of stuff on there and then finally the strickland has a patreon which you can subscribe to there are a number of different tiers there's a six dollar tier that gets you access to pod strickland this podcast that i host every friday with prez you also get access to the strickland mailbag hosted by andrew Steele, aka doug aka the doug bag alongside dallas amico that comes out every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod where I rant and rave about the next even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening in our pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. Bet Online is your number one source for all your championship finals, info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA and Stanley Cup finals. Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs, from basketball and hockey to MLB, UFC, and boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. Get into the action today, head to the website or use your mobile device to join, and be sure to use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. So, without further ado, let's get started. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we can talk about the finals. 
uh, now that it's over, especially the Nuggets uh, – Closed it out last night in Game Five in what is what was rather I should say, kind of like a classic elimination finals type of rock fight. Um, I can't say I loved every minute of it, um, but I did enjoy the outcome, and I thought they overcame a lot of let's just say questionable officiating in that game, um, and. I mean, they they answered every question you could pose to them. I'm not sure I'm ready to say they're like a dynasty in the making or anything like that, especially given the recent trend in NBA history where teams seem to win championships and then fall off, uh, which, you know, not sure that we needed a whole new CBA to put in restrictive measures to create parity that already existed. But um, that is neither here nor there. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I have been skeptical of Nikola Jokic in terms of his defensive capability uh, at the highest levels. I did not have a problem with him not winning MVP this year, uh, even though, I mean, yes, it's very obvious that he's a better player than, than Joel Embiid. And, I mean, honestly, to me, like, I always feel like, especially in a, in a league with this much parity right now, I think you have to give the crown to the guy who wins the title uh, every year at this point. Like, that's just how it works. I don't think anybody's had... and And... To be honest, the only guys that have the resumes over the last three or four or five years to stack up at that point um, at the level uh, are Jokic and Giannis. So um, I don't really know. Maybe Steph, right? Still, Maybe Steph, still but maybe? I still don't think – I think like when you're talking about – like they have done both the playoff thing and the regular season dominance. I don't know if Steph has done that quite to the same level. Yeah. Um, he just hasn't, I mean, he hasn't had to in certain, for some certain reasons. And also he just has, I mean, he's older. So like, I expect him to pace himself more and all that type of shit. But, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, look, he, the guy was amazing. He was amazing last night. He, it's funny. Like I actually thought last night was, I was like, dude, shoot more. Like he kept trying to dime guys up and I'm like, just keep fucking shooting, man. This is one of those games where you just need to keep shooting. Um, but like you look at his line, yeah, he I'm, had that uh, he had that one pass to Aaron Gordon that was a turnover where he yeah. just had an easy floater and he went for the lob. That was like a perfect example of what you're talking about. Yeah, he had a couple of those in the fourth quarter down the stretch. Um, but he was again the best player on the floor. He was the best player in the series. He was the best player in the playoffs, and I think rightfully so. He deserves to be called unquestionably right now the best player in the NBA, the best player in the world. Um, so th that is really my thought. On, like, I've seen a lot of like, oh, what can we learn about our fucking like team building from this? And I'm like, I the only things I can take away from this are sometimes there is value in continuity, but more importantly, uh, if you have Nikola Jokic, you're probably okay. You will be fine, and the guys on your team will all be fine. And also just real quick shout out to jeff green and ish smith getting titles uh and especially jeff green who i think one has had a very very interesting career arc and two has he's got that uh well i think bill simmons called them what irrational confidence guys i think mm -hmm. you do need those guys and i do think he has some of that but it's not in the way of a jr smith it's much more like yeah if i'm open from three i'm not going to hesitate to pull the trigger here and uh he has the experience now that he's played in so many big games, and I think he's never awed by the moment. So, um, pretty happy for him. This is, is going to sound crazy, 
and it's probably wrong because Bruce Brown had that putback, which is probably the shot of the series. You could maybe argue that Jeff Green hit the biggest shot of the series. I'm talking about that corner three in game four when Jokic was out and Miami was kind of kind of starting to do stuff and like they were like, oh, Jokic is out, the time is now. And then Jamal Murray hit Jeff Green in the corner to put it put the lead back up to nine. Uh, I, I, I think that aside from the Jokic of it all, I think if you were going to take one thing away from this Nuggets playoff run, it's that for the first time maybe ever since Jokic has emerged, they put together a long stretch of basketball where they were not just competent, but fine in the minutes Jokic didn't play. I think that's what won them the title more than anything. Because, I mean, everybody's seen, or anybody who's, you know, cares enough about basketball to, you know, listen to podcasts like these, everybody's seen the Jokic numbers, the impact numbers. And this isn't like 2017 Frank impact numbers where the Knicks sucked ass, but they sucked ass a little bit less when Frank was on the court and he was like, oh, he's like a pot. No, like the Nuggets were really bad when Jokic didn't play and then like one of the best teams in the league when he did play. And that's why all the impact stats love him so much. It's like, why can't this team figure it out when he's not on the court? What? Why is he so important? Aside from like his singular goodness, they have other good players. Shouldn't they be competent? And it just it took Malone figuring out that okay, I can't do this hockey shift style of substituting anymore. We can't have four bench guys and Michael Porter Jr. for meaningful minutes. We're going to keep getting blitzed. And, I mean, assuming our audience is a lot of Knicks fans, that will resonate with a lot of Knicks fans because that's something Tom Thibodeau didn't figure out. We we lost at the margins because we had minutes where it was RJ and Josh Hart and three bench players while Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson sat on the bench, and we got absolutely obliterated in those minutes. and. You know, you win or lose series based on small things like that. And I genuinely think you can make the argument that the Nuggets won the title because Malone figured out how to make the non-Jokic minutes acceptable. Um, And that's all you have to do because they were so good when he's on the court. Yeah. um, I thought, um, yeah, I mean, look, Malone has learned a lot. He's obviously grown as a coach. I know there are people who are like, well, you know, uh, can't Tibbs grow as a coach? Maybe Tibbs can. I don't know. He did show some growth this year. Uh, I just feel like, to me, uh, he's kind of very he's very similar to Doc, where I think, like, even if they grow, they're always going to ultimately err on the side of their gut instincts and their preferences. And I think those preferences are fucking wrong. Like, that's simple as that. Like, I don't, I don't really want, I, I'm, I haven't talked, I'm so happy. I haven't talked about Tibbs coaching for a long time. Um, and I don't really want to get into that. But like, yeah, look, like, if you're looking at this series and you're looking at the guys that got to, you know, the conference finals, stuff like that, like, and even Missoula, who I, I feel like, Celtics fans have completely fucking lost their minds with how they talk about him. Um, in the sense of like, I 100% am not sold on him. I think there are very valid criticisms of him, but the idea that he's like singularly awful and way off of what they had in Udoko is a joke. Like it just is. Um, they went seven games last year with Miami in the conference finals. They won. Um, 
but they easily could have lost that series. They pissed away a, a you know, they they lost game six at home in that series. Like they they have they they nearly pissed away that series to the, the Bucks without uh Middleton playing. Like they they were not some like they were not markedly better last year. I mean, if you want to say they were different, they were definitely different. Much better defensive team as far as I'm concerned. Um and you know, offensively, I think they just had the same issues forever, which again, like I think their issues are a lot more about personnel at this point because they've had the same issues under different coaches, three different coaches now, Stevens, Yudoka, and Missoula. To me, that speaks to whatever the various coaching issues of those three different guys are, um, there are roster construction issues. Um, and maybe we can talk about that because I think there's a very good argument for them just moving Jalen Brown ASAP. Um, but, um, yeah, like, to go bring it back to this series, uh, you know, again, like, Spolstra, he's as good as it gets. Um, and I really just think, like, he pushed as many buns as he could push, but there was not much more he could do. Um, and he got the absolute, I mean, I don't know if there's another coach in the fucking league right now, and not many through history that could have gotten this team as far as they got. Uh, and I just want to say, like, I'm so, so, so happy I don't have to hear about Jimmy Butler anymore uh, for the rest of the season. <laughs> I'm so sick and tired of the conversation around this guy. He's Michael Jordan. He's this fucking winner. He, like, I like Jimmy Butler a lot. I think he's a pretty fucking awesome player. But the conversations that were being had about this guy during this playoff run were insane. Um, he has not been, I mean, he's been good at the level of, like, what you expect from a star player, but he's not been some historically amazing performer through this run, especially after the first round of the of the playoffs. Was uh, he the best player on the Heat in any of their last three series? No. Bam, this series, Caleb Martin against the Celtics, and yeah, and I think I, mean, Bam, even... I, I think Bam was better against the Celtics too um, than than Butler was, and Bam was definitely better against the Knicks than Butler was. Um, I just, yeah, like, I, I just think that the credit he's gotten for this run is ridiculous. And I'm very happy that that conversation can now be put to bed. And we can go back to, like, the actual level of appreciation that Jimmy Butler deserves. But, like, the conversations he was entering were ridiculous. And, look, like, as good as Jimmy Butler is, we saw the difference in this finals between very, very good playoff riser maybe elite playoff player in, in Jimmy Butler versus all-time great player in Nikola Jokic. I mean, that really, to me, was the difference. And, like, look, Jamal Murray was really good, but and I, I, I don't like doing this because I, I'm not trying to diminish his achievements or the Nuggets' achievements at all, but, like, it is very hard for me to watch various segments of this series, of their entire playoff run, and not feel like as productive as he's been, I I think he benefits so, so, so much from playing alongside Nikola Jokic because the minutes without Jokic on the floor, they're still pretty rough on the edges offensively uh, when, when Murray is the guy who has to kind of run the show on his own. Um, and that's less of a knock on him because it's just hard to be that guy, period, especially uh, in the end game of the playoffs. And it says so much about Jokic to me because, like, as good as Murray is, 
I mean, it's like him and Wiggins are just really interesting number twos on title teams we've had in the last couple of years, um, where it's like they have they definitely rose to the moment. But gun to your head, are you like I'm this this guy is the fucking perennial all star type? Like you know, it's just they're not those guys, and I think it does speak it speaks to where we are um, with just the the amount of talent in the league, which is why I think there is the parity there is now. Yep. Um, one thing I'll say about Murray is, especially after his injury, when uh, I mean that should have probably or could have probably had a bigger effect on his athleticism and his stamina. He's really, really come a long ways on the defensive end. He, he, I mean, he, he said a lot of stuff early in the season about wanting to be like the guy on defense. And I remember thinking to myself, like, okay, buddy, like, you settle down. You're, you're, you're a point guard. You're not going to be. And I was really impressed by his defense, uh, especially when he got matched up against Jimmy Butler. I think that the Nuggets' overall strategy was that they weren't going to double Butler. They were going to trust their guys in man. And I mean, how many times the series did we see Butler get to the middle and then do his little hop step, pump fake, spin around a million times and then look for a kick out and then nothing was there. Like that happened so much the series. Um, I agree with you about Murray. It's just a really weird thing to talk about. Um, I, I think Brunson's definitely better and we, uh, you know, we don't have to get into this too much. And I think Brunson would definitely be better leading bench units on the Nuggets when Jokic is out. Is it – do you think it's wrong to say, though, that I, I'm not sure that Brunson would have as fluid a two-man game with Jokic as Murray does? Like, all the little quick movements and all the, the pocket pass. Like, like, Murray seems uniquely equipped. I, I, I just don't think that you could put anybody in the spot that Murray's in. And, like, I, I agree that Jokic would, would make them better, of course, because Jokic is great. But I, I, I don't want to sell Murray short. I do think he's bringing something to the table there that's sort of unique to him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Steph would do pretty well in the Murray role. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're right, yeah. Um, I shouldn't have said anybody. but not No, me. no, I, I'm with you. I do think there's something there. But, like, here's what we also need to remember. He's played with Jokic his entire career. Um, so, like, yeah. this is this is not like – this isn't one of those, oh, my God – this guy just got traded to this team and it looks like they've been playing together forever. Like this is, they literally have been playing together forever. Um, so there's a lot of like learned, you know, uh, it's like a learned relationship to an extent, but like, yes, I agree. His game, the way he, you know, quick pocket pass, I'm going to come back, get the dribble handoff from you. Like all that type of stuff. Um, it is definitely there. I, 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 the, here's the thing with Brunson that I think is interesting. Like my gut instinct is to say you're right, um, because Brunson is a more methodical player than somebody like Murray. But like, he's never played with a big that can really distribute. You know, like I know I know Randall gets assists, but like, I don't, I really don't want to do the Randall thing today. Um, but like, he's not he's not like instinctual and improvisational in the same way that a guy like Jokic is or to a lesser degree Bam is. Um, he's never played with a big like that. Kristaps isn't that type of big. Lord knows the bigs that Dallas had last year were not any of those type of bigs. Um, he's just never had that. And so I don't quite 
like I'm not ready to say for sure that Brunson couldn't replicate some of that. You know, obviously you would lose something because I do think one, I mean, Murray's bigger. There's value to that. I do think that he's a little bit more uh, shifty once he gets off the ball in a way that Brunson hasn't shown. But like, you know, ultimately, if you swapped out Brunson and Murray, I'm not sure. Like, I think the Nuggets are still just as good. Maybe they're even better because I'm very confident Brunson can buoy an offense in the non-Jokic minutes much better and more consistently than Jamal Murray can. And that's not really a knock on Murray because, like I said, like there's no, what you're talking about are like there's a handful of those guys that can basically be your offense for four or five minutes or whatever the fuck it is. Brunson is just very capable of that, and it, it says more about him than it is a knock on Murray. So, like, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it, I, I really watched a lot of these playoffs, and I, I felt this way after our series, and then you kind of watch, you know, the conference finals, and you watch the finals, and you re- let it really sink in. Like, I feel, like, even more strongly than ever now that, like, the Knicks, I, the Knicks to me actually have a guy that I feel very comfortable about being a high usage end game critical moment shot maker playmaker whatever you want to call it in Jalen Brunson and I don't like I I wouldn't have thought that I didn't think that at the start of the year but the like degree to which I am now like I think Brunson is actually like he's in conversations that I would have just thought were ridiculous just before the the season started and yeah that that's kind of like one I mean not my main takeaway from the finals but like I think the main takeaway I have is like they the Knicks have one of those guys I feel very confident saying that and he's being paid like half of right the other guys in his in his right tier or and, whatever. and and I think it makes it even like it makes it imperative that they get a second guy at some point in the next year or two while like, I don't, I don't feel they need to, they should make moves like that. Um, like they, they don't, they shouldn't feel like we have to do it by X time, but like they should be, I'm willing to be a little bit more aggressive in that pursuit than I felt at this time last year. Like, I like Donovan Mitchell is not the guy that I want to pair Jalen Brunson with in terms of like uh, I I still feel like the Knicks the Knicks definitely made the right call in not making that trade, but if a player like a wing of the same caliber came available, uh, I would probably be comfortable with the Knicks being more aggressive in getting that player uh, than I was last year. You know, to pair which would have ostensibly paired Brunson with Donovan Mitchell, which I think like. If you want to know what some of the limitations of that are, uh, go check out that Cleveland series where we just absolutely waxed them because they had two smaller guards in the backcourt. Not that that was like the singular reason they lost that series, but I do think there are limitations to that type of roster construction. Um, But like, again, if there is a wing of that caliber, of Donovan Mitchell's caliber, who is like, you know, not quite an all-NBA, a perennial all-NBA guy, an all-star, so somebody who's like, you know, maybe more of like a top, 12 to 20, 15 to 20 player than a top 10 guy, I would probably feel okay about being aggressive to go get that dude. Before we get 
fully into the offseason stuff, I do have a question for you. Do you think, after watching the Heat play the Celtics and the Nuggets, do you think that the Knicks, uh, both as us as Knicks fans and just the organization in general, we're going to look back and rue this as a missed, as the missed opportunity this postseason? Sort Sorry. Of similar to, like... Say that again? Question, sir. No, I, I just... Can you say, say that again? Do you think... Uh, do you think... Knicks fans and the Knicks organization are going to look back on this postseason and sort of rue it, rue the missed opportunity. Like, uh, like losing I, I the Miami like, series. I feel like you're essentially talking yes, about. Yes, I feel like I feel like a lot of people think, "Oh, this was year one with Brunson. We're a young team. It's only up from here." Like, and they're kind of taking a half a glass half full approach, which is fine. Optimism is good, but I, me being the annoying jaded realist i sort of can't help but think that it doesn't really ever work like that and when i look at the heat and i look at the the isolated variables from each series the heat basically played like a team that wasn't the eight seed in every series except the next series and the Knicks gave up by far the most open threes to the Heat, and yet somehow the Knicks series was the only one where the Heat shot close to their regular season numbers. The Knicks kind of, aside from obviously aside from the injury stuff, and Butler got hurt, so there was that, but the Knicks kind of were the most fortunate opponent the Heat faced. Like the Heat shot God mode against the Bucks, and they got that Butler supernova effort. They shot they got the Caleb Martin bullshit series against the Celtics. Every team the Heat beat you can kind of just be like, all right, like that wasn't an eight seed. That wasn't a real, that wasn't a real thing. That was just them playing way over their heads. Of course they were going to come back down to earth, but they, they didn't do that against the Knicks. And I personally can't help but feel like we let one get away. And I just, again, I can't help but feel like I don't want to be two years from now and be like, man, that was a real opportunity. And we took it for granted. Um, I, Think I will say I do think like I know that they had the most open threes or whatever against us that they bricked. I would also say like we bricked a lot of open threes. Um, but I mean we can debate this all day. I do think there's something to be said of like we're at a point now with the Knicks three point defense. We're like going on three years of this now where it's like if teams are consistently getting open threes and they're consistently shooting worse on open threes against us than they normally do. There's got to be something more to what we're doing than, oh, they're just like, what are we like? You, I'm sure you've seen rounders, right? It's like, what's that fucking line he has where he's like talking to his girlfriend and he's like, what do you think? Like the same fucking uh, the, guys, the same same nine guys make final table every year. Yeah, where they lowest lo- yeah. fucking guys in the world. Like, like at some yeah. point, we've got to be like, okay, are, are we just like the luckiest fucking guys in the NBA, or are we actually doing something that that like whatever it is? I, I'm not quite sure what it is. I, I rely on to. I told you this. There's got to be something to what we do defensively that leads to this outcome occurring very, very often um, and consistently over multiple seasons now. Like, it's not just one season, right? One season, you can just get lucky. When it happens over three seasons, there's something to what you're doing. Um, that All that being said, uh, I... What I'm a little bit like, some I'm probably somewhere between where a lot of people are, where it's like, oh, like this is the start and this is great and 
everything is fine and wonderful and dandy. And a, like I'm somewhere between that and where you are because I think I what I I will say this I think this will look like a missed opportunity if the Knicks over the next year two years whatever don't evolve from a tactical standpoint because I I, I actually did this yesterday I went back and I looked at uh, Tibbs's 2017 2018. Timberwolves team because I was reading uh, John's newsletter and he had a line about like how you know Tibbs had done everything he could to get this offense to where it was right number three in the league and great offensive rating in the regular season and they cratered in the playoffs and I'm like like there's some people and there's a general some a school of thought that like you know the guy, guys just started missing shots the moment was too big for you know the Quickleys and Randalls and Grimes and whoever and that's just part of growth as a team and all this shit. Fine. Um, I think there's just a limitation in this type of like very, very rock fight type of approach. And I was went back and I looked at that Minnesota team because that team similarly, uh, and let's not forget they had Jimmy Butler and they had Carl Anthony Towns. I would say if you took the general consensus of, you know, people who cover the league, media types, whatever, they would say those two guys are a better top two offensively than Brunson and Randall. And I would agree with that. So I went back and I looked at their offensive rating. Obviously, their offensive rating was lower because basketball has just changed and offenses are way better now than they were. But like at the time, they were the fourth best offensive team in the league. So they were very close and similar to the level compared to uh, the general, the, the league as the Knicks were this season, the Knicks finishing third in offensive rating. I went back and I looked at it. They were about, I think they were like 15th in EFG, so not a high EFG team. They're not like a great shooting team, much like the Knicks who finished 19th in EFG. They were an elite offensive rebounding team. They were an elite getting to the free throw line team, and they were a very low turnover team. Like, I think you can win a ton of regular season basketball games playing this way. And another team that rode, you know, uh, low turnover rates and they were did it in a different way, uh, the 2013 Knicks. The 2013 Knicks were like a very dynamic offensive team. They were third in offensive rating that year. They shot a shit ton of threes relative to league standard at that time. And they never turned the ball over. That was like what they did. And you can win a lot of regular season games playing that way. But those three teams, and I mentioned these three teams because obviously two of them are Knicks teams, this year's Knicks and the 2013 Knicks. And I mentioned the 2018 Wolves because that's a team coached by Tom Thibodeau. Like, I think when you look at these teams, yeah, you can win a lot of NBA regular season games basically not trying to minimize the amount of times you shoot yourself in the foot um, we, even with stagnant offense, even with depending on ISOs, if you have a certain level of talent and you can punish teams in the offensive glass. But when you get into the postseason, winning the possession battle is not enough. It's not enough. You need more diversity. You need more options. And I'm less of the opinion, like I, I think there's been a some school, of, like there's been a lot of, at least I've seen a lot of like, especially after we lost that Miami series of like, oh, well, you know, you see what the limitations are with Mitchell Robinson. You can't do anything with him at the ball. And, like, 
I'm sorry, I didn't really feel that way watching that series. To me, the bigger issue was like, if we're going to do this, if we're going to try to bludgeon teams, then you need a better number two than Julius Randle. And even if you get that guy, I'm not particularly sold that simply trying to bludgeon teams to death. And, you know, basically, like, being a dominant running game, uh, I'm not sure that being, like, the best running game in the league is going to win us a championship, is kind of how I feel about it. Like, you know, in the NFL, there are teams that are great at running the ball, but how many teams that are dependent on running the ball win championships at this point? Like, I feel that way about the Knicks. Like, I think there are, you could win a lot of games in the regular season doing what the Knicks do, but once you get into the playoffs, I don't think you can win a championship that way. And if the Knicks continue to just stick with possession ball, they'll continue to win a lot of regular season basketball games, but they will not hit the necessary upside that you need to win a championship. And that is, to me, like even more than upgrading the talent on the roster, that is the biggest key. And and like I do think there is an argument for Tibbs is our Mark Jackson. I, I really think he's gotten this team as far as he can get it. I don't think he's a bad coach. I don't think he is the coach, though, to take you to that final level. And I like you talked about how many guys could play with Jokic, right? Like, or like how many guys could replicate the way that Murray plays with Jokic, right? I really believe in my heart of hearts that Emmanuel quickly could play that way, but we will never see that happen as long as Tibbs is the coach, because he will not run an offense that way. Like, I don't know how else to say it other than that. And, like, I understand there's – it's a little bit of a bullshit argument because Jokic is, like, you know, fucking – how many guys can do what he does, right? But, like, if if Tibbs had Bam, even, would he really, like, adjust his scheme to get – to use Bam in, in all the ways that Spolster does? And, like, you can be like, well, Bam's really fucking good, too. Okay, but, like – we saw this with Hartenstein. He did not adjust Hartenstein at all. At all. Hartenstein had to adjust to Tibbs' ball, what he wants from his fives. And he did an admirable job of that. But that, him very specifically, speaks to this limitation I'm talking about, where players exist to fit into what Tibbs wants. And I don't think, I think that's okay to an extent if Tibbs was more flexible from a tactical point of view, but he's not. And I just fundamentally believe there are players in this roster. You know, Obi is another guy. IQ is one. I think even Brunson is one. Like we've talked about this where there's something like his off ball utility is not even close to maximized on this team. And that's a missed opportunity. Um right. We we talked about it after that last heat regular season game. Yeah. When because you because you you said one of the, one of the, literally the probably the most spot on things you said all season is, and you were, you were hammering this home from, you know, 20 games into the season through the whole, you said anytime a team goes zone against us quickly is the guy who should run point. You said that all season long, you were saying that quickly handles the zones better than anyone. He knows how to get the offense into play. Uh, and that last heat game, uh, Brunson was struggling. Randall got hurt. And at the end of both halves, at the end of the first half, or excuse me, at the end of the second half, Brunson didn't even come back in because quickly was playing, was running the show so well. But at the end of the first half, quickly was running the show, and Brunson got that corner three 
where he relocated to the corner and hit the buzzer beater off of the tic-tac-toe passing. And it's like, we, and Tibbs learned nothing from that. Like there was, there was just like, Oh, I, okay. That was cool for that one moment, but we got to go back to like what I think is the way. Um, and to your, to the point you were making uh, at the beginning of what you were talking about, those three teams you were talking about, the 2023 Knicks, 2021 Knicks, and 2018 T-Wolves, all three's offensive ratings plummeted yep. in the playoffs. Yep. The This year's Knicks went from 117 to 107 offensive rating, so they scored 10 less points per 100 possessions. The 2021 Knicks went from 110 to 102, and like that, <laughs> that offense wasn't even good in the regular season, and somehow they got worse in the playoffs. Well, it's it was and good then, at that time. I think they were what they were third in offensive rating for the season. I think in twenty twenty one. Oh no, no, I, no, I, no, I was talking about twenty thirteen. That's what I meant. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah and then the twenty eighteen T Wolves, or yeah, the twenty eighteen T Wolves went from one twelve point five to uh, one hundred six point nine. Yes. Yeah. One 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 hundred six point nine. And so I, I do think, I mean, I think everything you said was spot on, so I'm not going to go on too long. But I think the thing I agree with you the most about is that unless you're a superstar, and specifically a superstar who starts with the ball in his hands at the top, like from the perimeter, like Jimmy Butler towards the end of his, starting with the end of his run with Tibbs in Chicago, Derek Rose, obviously, and um, now Jalen Brunson. Thibodeau basically sees you, he, he etches out a role for you and you can either sink or swim within that role, but there's no, there's no room to color outside the lines. It's, you know, and I'm not, I'm not a Cam Reddish guy. We don't need to talk about Cam Reddish. That's done. He, he wasn't even good in New York. Like, but I, I just, I do, I do think he is an example. It's illustrative of a point you're making though. Right. Exactly. He, he, he clearly was a player who wasn't someone who could be confined by a singular role. And like, just he needed room to improvise and he needed to be allowed to, I don't know. He needed to be allowed to like freaking struggle in his cocoon. Uh, I'm a big lost fan. And one of my favorite scenes in lost in season one is when Locke talks to Charlie about struggle, uh, how nature struggle is nature's way of healing us. And he uses a, a moth trying to wiggle its way out of a cocoon as an example. And it's like, that is a thing in basketball. People need to be allowed to, or players need to be allowed to flourish within who they are as players. And to your point, obviously there's a high floor for the way Tibbs coaches. Obviously he's a good coach for a certain thing. He and, and we needed exact- it. Yeah. And, and I think we right, needed that's, that's that. Where I was, that's where yeah. I was going with that. Yeah, we need we needed him in 2020, 2021. If the Knicks ever win a championship, I mean, obviously, if it's with Tibbs, we'll thank him endlessly. But if if they win a championship in the next five years, if it's not with Tibbs, I think we will owe him a ton of gratitude because they were nowhere. And him and Leon came and pulled the team up, the franchise up from an abyss. And it was Leon who cleared the cap sheet and got us to where we are right now when we're, we're in a really good spot. And it was Tibbs who built the foundation. He is a good coach, but you, eventually you got to stop thinking about high floors and you have to start thinking about how do we hit a ceiling that is a meaningful ceiling. And to do that, you need a coach who looks at players and thinks, how can I maximize this individual? Emmanuel quickly, what do you do best? How can I maximize you? 
he definitely didn't do that in the playoffs. He definitely was like, oh, okay, you're struggling a little bit, taking the ball out of your hands, you'll just figure it out because this is Jalen Brunson's time. The only people that Tibbs seeks to maximize are the guys he views as the, the people he can't win without. So that's been Julius Randle, it's been Jimmy Butler, it's been Jalen Brunson, it's been Derrick Rose. The only other people who flourish in Tibbs' systems are people who can figure it out, who, who can swim when basically just being handed some sort of role-player role. And, yeah, I mean, this was circular, but I don't think that's enough to get you to champion, true championship contention. And I very much believe that he is the Mark Jackson for this franchise, and they need to go and try and find their Steve Kerr. Yeah. Um, I... That's that's really like just it's they need to it, it it so it can be it could be it could be Tibbs Tibbs could do it too but like it can, it has to change is my point is like that's really what it's about is if Tibbs you know if he turns over a new leaf and look I'm not I don't think the Knicks need to be like they don't need to be the fucking Warriors okay they don't need to be like this amazing you know ball movement players cutting constantly like I don't think you need that. But you need to be more than what they are, which is like, it's a very, very much like one guy, there's a pick and roll and everybody stands around space on the floor. And like, that's what it is. Um, I, I, there just needs to be. Sometimes we set flare screens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's just, there needs to be more to what we do than that. And like, I'm happy that he discovered stuff like, Oh, the center doesn't always need to be the one that sets the ball screen. Like, I, I don't mean this like I, I know it sounds facetious, but like I am genuinely happy that he did that this year. But it it it's all like I mean when you get into the playoffs, everything just boils down with him to like just it's just every possession is trying to mismatch hunt, and I don't think you can win a championship that way where you're just trying to draw isolation matchups that you like and then you hunt them because guess what. Teams are really, really well drilled and good defensively in the playoffs. They're, you're not going to get a mismatch every single time. You're just not. And even if you do, maybe you're going to draw it with six seconds left on the shot clock. Are you really going to get a good shot in that possession? Like, it, it's, it's, you're putting, there's so much pressure on players to create individually in his offense and, and in the offenses that we just talked about, you know, the 2013 Knicks. That was a criticism of their offense. I think they were like last in the league in assist rate that year too. Very low assist rate team. That's another common thread in a lot of these teams, right? Low assist rate teams. Um, I don't, again, I don't think the Knicks need to be like top three assist rate. Like again, I don't think you need to be that, but you need to be more. And, um, you know, like to the point about like adjusting to your players, like Spolster does this as well as anybody, you know, like, and he's good about, okay, this is not a Gabe Vincent series or Gabe Vincent game. I'm going to go to Kyle Lowry more. And he does it in a way that doesn't feel like he's lost confidence in you. Like he keeps his guys' confidence up in a way that I don't think Tibbs does that because I don't think Tibbs talks to them. Like, I mean, a lot of guys have not, this is not a theory. This is like what dudes who have played for Tibbs have said, right? That like, he doesn't explain shit really. I mean, Derek Rose had a couple of quotes this year where he was basically like, no, he hasn't talked to me at all about like being benched. Like it's just that's what it is. Um, like th- that line of communication isn't there. And then you look at like Spolstra, and it's like, how does he keep a guy like Duncan Robinson engaged 
who basically was fucking rotting away on the bench for a while. Uh, and then he had to unbury him late in the season and into the playoffs. And like, how does he keep guys' confidence up and keep them ready? And and I, I just think like that's a thing that you know Tibbs isn't particularly good at. And I do think you need to be like you need to be able to use your twelve like twelve guys on your team. And that's not to say that all twelve guys are gonna be in your rotation every single game, every single night, or anything. That's I, that's ridiculous and not productive. But like you need to be able to call on guys situationally. In, in a way that he's just not comfortable with. I mean, we saw this with Deuce, right? Like, Deuce played well when called upon in that Cleveland series, but he was, and he called upon him, as funny enough, in the right moments in that series, in the right situations. And then, like, he just basically didn't play him against Miami at all. And I just, and then he, and then when he did, he just threw him in in that game six, right? He's like, okay, Deuce, like, go be the point guard now for this lineup that has, RJ Hart, Obi, and Hartenstein, like run point for that lineup. Like it just, it's just really weird. And then it's like, of course that lineup sucked. And it's like people are like, well, see, that's why he didn't want to go to Deuce. That's why, like, it's like that's not the my takeaway from it. Um, and I, I'm just like very over the way that players and lineups and rosters get discussed because of the way Tibbs tendencies are and how the how that results in presenting the information um i am very over that framing of it so like again this this so so when i talk about like evolving like i think the knicks need to keep adding more players like grimes more players like quickly guys that are they give you value in multiple ways guys that i think are capable of playing off ball and in quickly's case he can play both on and off ball so having guys like that are very valuable um but the knicks need to like they just need to evolve and like they need to get away from this like very stagnant iso heavy bludgeon teams to death style of play and like fundamental to that to me is probably moving on from the coach and more fundamental even potentially is to me moving on from a player like julius Randle, who i don't believe can play in a different way. Like I think this I think if you want him to be a top two, three usage guy on your team, top, you know, top option, then you have to play this way. I don't like and and that's actually like an interesting, you know, thing to consider. Yeah, like before before we Swin, before we get into the Randall stuff, I just have one thing I want to say about Tibbs before we shift, if you don't if because you because you just brought it up. It, it would be one thing if Tibbs wasn't was just had the shortcomings he has as a tactician. But when he combines it with being bar none the worst rotator in the entire league, he 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 deploys less lineup combinations than any coach in the league. We don't. There's so many out three years in a row now. We've said, boy, it would be fun to see this totally reasonable lineup, like something like Brunson, quickly Grimes, RJ, and one of Mitchell Hardenstein. That would have been a great lineup. But because Randall and Obi are the only two who are allowed to play power forward, we don't ever see it. I mean, I'm not even asking for, you know, Randall at the five lines. Whatever. We can throw those out. But there is a ton of variety that – and this matters because we have these conversations all the time about, you know, the uh, the lack of ball movement and the rigidness of our scheme. 
And we say there are certain times in the game when it seems like the Knicks break through it. And in spite of what Tibbs wants from them, they look like a more modern basketball team. And it's because of certain guys are on the court together, you know, but we don't see that enough. Like, you know, when Quickly and Hardenstein are on the court together, stuff just happens because at the end of the day, basketball players aren't robots. They're going to stay within themselves and play within themselves. And I, I just think that at, at a bare minimum, it would be nice if Tubes would evolve as a rotator because I, I think that that is part of the problem too. Um, and so, yeah, go, let's get, let's get into Randall. I just wanted to say that part about the lineups. I just think that there's so many lineups we don't see. And there's so little effort to, because he's just so rigid in how he substitutes. And his substitution pattern is just, it's ancient. He runs, I mean, what I call the ABA rotation uh, substitution pattern. If you're a starter, you play two shifts and a half. If you're a bench guy, you play one shift and a half. And you're the middle. And maybe if you're a bench guy and you have are having a really good shift, your one shift is, you know, from the three-minute mark in the first quarter all the way through halftime. And that's how you play 15 minutes. But there, there isn't any effort to get, you know, different lineup combinations, play different guys together. We see very few lineup combinations. And I don't, again, I think that's a ceiling suppressor because I don't even think we're seeing our full, like, arsenal in, in play here. I think there's things that Tibbs, us, we, we can't even imagine because we haven't even tried to ask the questions. Yeah, um, and yeah, and and I think like, you know, uh, we we won't know this. Um, I I suspect that Tibbs does want to play this way, um, but I also think to some extent his hand is forced to play in a specific way, given the options at his disposal, and one of them being Randall, and Randall being almost certainly, you know, I don't want to say he's being forced to use him, but like. Because of the nature of the team, Randall is going to be a top one or two option on the team. Um, like again, like I just think you have to play a certain way if that's the reality of how you're of Julius Randall standing within your franchise's hierarchy. Um, and that to me is like why I would trade him. Like I, I just I don't think that you can win committing to this guy. And I am more sympathetic to like. I'll put it this way: Like, if you if 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 we're going to stick with Julius, then to me, you need to force Tibbs's hand, and you need to make big calls about like about you know when you're talking about evolution. Okay, fine. You want you want Julius Randle here? Fine. Then go fucking get Kristaps and play him at the five. Go get me a five out big that spreads the floor out. And now you're talking. You've you've changed the. Um, the environment you've changed kind of like your offensive structure in a, in a massive way, because you're not going to be some, you're not going to be as dependent on offensive rebounding. You are going to be a higher EFG team. You're going to make more shots from the field and you're going to be able to do it in diverse ways than you are with. And like, I don't, I'm not sure how I feel about that to be completely honest, but like, to me, th this is the type of shit I'm saying. Like, okay, you don't want to risk it on Kristaps because he's injury prone. You have to make a big commitment to him. Fine, then go get Brook Lopez. Like, go get me. Like, you have to make calls. You have to make decisions that change your offensive structure, regardless of 
what you want to do with personnel, uh, like if, with key personnel on the existing team, and if you want to retain Tibbs, you need to evolve. And um, I just, I'm, I'm not sure they're going to. I'm not sure they're, they're going to be able to, which is its own thing. But like, I, I just need to see the effort. I need to see them actually strive for it because you can win a lot of ball games. Again, like we talked about playing the way the Knicks played. But you're not going to get to the level you need to get to. You're not going to win a championship. You're not going to be a contender doing this. Like, you're just not, unless you basically get, okay, go get, like, fucking, I don't even, like, I don't know if you can win this play style with anybody, to be honest. Like, I just don't think you can. So, I mean, we've talked about this with Luca. As good as Luca is, like, can you win a championship playing this, like, super ISO-heavy, heliocentric style of play? And that's effectively what the Knicks do. The Knicks play, it's not quite heliocentric because they spread the, the the usage out a little bit better, but like you're basically just alternating ISO possessions between three guys. And it's right, just, it's like it's like it's like Luca Ball, except they have guys who take turns being Luca. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like I don't <laughs> think you can, yeah, I just don't think you can win a championship like that. I really don't. Yeah, um, I mean, I I definitely agree and. T- the Randall thing is just, it's really difficult because I'm sympathetic. I'm very sympathetic to people who are like, well, the guy made, has made two All-NBA teams in four seasons. He's two, two-time All-Star. I mean, you know, we're, it's still a game that, you know, people look at stats and I just, I want to move the conversation away from how do you replace 25 and 10? Because the 25 and 10 you don't have to replace that. We've, we've seen that. How many times have we seen guys who put up fewer counting stats, smaller counting stats, be more impactful towards winning? It's not – it doesn't work like that. So the, the, the Knicks shouldn't be trying to – if they were trying to replace Randall, the goal shouldn't be to try and replace his actual output. And the goal should be to try to bring somebody in who – will fit better and will help the t- and will will raise the team ceiling. And so to do that, you have to look at sort of what areas Randall comes up short in. Why isn't he more uh, conducive to winning at a high level? And to me it comes down to two things. Consistent defense and processing speed. I think those are the two things that are keeping him from being a truly elite player. If you put Obi's whatever's between, you know, however Obi's able to see and process the game, if Randall had that, I genuinely think he'd be a top 10 player in the league. Just that alone. Because Obi is lightning quick. There, Every single time the ball touches his hands, he knows where it's going to go next. Whether he's dribbling into a handoff, whether he's making a swing pass, whether he's catching, pumping, and going. He never, ever hesitates. And it, But it also doesn't feel like he's a chicken with... It, when he was a rookie, it felt this way. But as he's matured, it doesn't feel like he's a chicken with his head cut off, cut off out there. He's very, um, I don't want to say methodical, but it's just he knows what he, he knows what he's doing. Um, so it's it's in control, but it's fast. And I, I swear, I, I wish I had thought of this before the season. And if Randall, I, I, you can you can mark this down, whatever, fifty four minutes on the pod. If Randall's a Nick next season, I'm a Nick next season. I'm going to do it. I wish I had taken a compilation video last season of every advantage that Randall squashed because it's so many. It's so many. 
like so many times we'll actually have a good possession where somebody creates an advantage and we get that kick out and then the ball hits Randall's hands and he just he just catches it and he stops. And it's like the defense resets and the advantage is squashed. And here's the thing. Here's the, here's the, here's the biggest problem with that. In two of Randall's last three regular seasons, it hasn't been as detrimental because his shots are going in. So he stops the ball and he assesses the situation because he does, he's not OB. He doesn't have his next move pre-planned and he doesn't have that anticipation. But it doesn't matter when he's so skilled and his shots and he's shooting at an efficient clip. It, it's still going to lead to good offense. But when you get to the playoffs, all of a sudden when the margins are thinner, those those advantages that he's squashing, it's detrimental again. And that's why he is the type of player who you're just – if he is a top two player on your team, your team almost certainly is going to have a low ceiling. Unless he evolves, like he can, he can evolve, and if he evolves, I'll say, "Hey, I was wrong," you know. But, but in his current form, as he processes right now, it's just, it's, it's just not a thing that can happen. And uh, XJ brought this up on Twitter. He was saying, "Okay, well, you see this, and we as Knicks fans see this. Why do other teams not see this?" And my rebuttal to that would be, I think that other teams, they're, they're all you need is one. And I think there is a chance that another team would say, okay, this guy is super skilled. He can shoot. He can play make. He can rebound. He's – look at him. He's uh, like he's awesome. Like, let's, not, let's not underrate Julius Randle. He's, good. he's a really good basketball player. Um, and we have a structure and a hierarchy in place. We think we could get Randle to buy into things that he's just not going to buy into in New York. Because let's be frank, he's not – <laughs> he's not going to let R.J. Barrett or anybody else surpass him in the hierarchy. Like, it, it almost felt like it, it almost felt like a big deal for him to let Brunson do it. Um, and so I just, I think we're kind of stuck un- unless Julius Randle evolves, which I, I don't think is super likely. I think the Knicks are kind of stuck as a franchise until they trade him. And so I agree with you. I, I think that... If the true end goal is to try and win a championship, I, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that Julius Randle can be on the team unless he shows a willingness to evolve. Yeah, it's um, kind of where I'm at, and um, you know, I, I think there there's a lot of names being tossed around. You know, like so where I I think the discourse, the off off season discourse that I've seen is a little bit weird or not weird but just like i don't agree with it is like i don't think rj and randall i don't think it's an either or thing like they're independent factors to me like i don't think a decision about julius randall should be made because of rj bear i don't think a decision about rj Barrett should be made because of julius randall like i think you have to evaluate them as individual pieces, individual players. And what I mean by that is like, like I've seen a lot, like a, like there's a, you know, whole thing about Zach Levine. Should the Knicks go get Zach Levine? And you know, why, you know, if you get Zach Levine and you put him in the RJ spot and like, look at his offensive numbers and the defense we saw with RJ wasn't that good. So you're not really losing that much on that end. So you're going to be better. Like, I think what that misses 
is like <clears throat> players don't exist in a vacuum and like to me that's the reason for this whole thing is seems to be is like well we can get more even more out of Julius uh, if we do this, and I also see this the other way, where it's like, well, if we trade Randall now, the paint will open up, the seas will part, and RJ Barrett will become this way better player. And like, what you're really describing there to me is like, you're trying to mask the flaws of those players, and that's fine. You need to do that stuff when you're building a team, but like, that's also why I don't think you need to make the decision oh, it, like pitting them against each other is probably I, I disagree with that like I don't like the way that's framed because to me like I want to move on for Julius Randle for reasons that actually have nothing to do with RJ Barrett like do I think RJ Barrett would benefit from Randle being gone probably yeah I think so offensively he would um, at least in the regular season I really think he would but like I I don't think that's that's not specific about RJ. Like, I think a lot of guys on this roster potentially would benefit from Julius being gone. I think the player you would bring in in lieu of Julius, you know, whoever it is, that player could be valuable in his own right. He can help replace the production or whatever to improve the team context. All these things, like, I think you can get draft capital for Julius that can help you acquire the level of player that I think the Knicks ultimately need to acquire to be a contending team. Like, those are the reasons I want to trade Julius Randle. Not because, like, I want to unlock R.J. Barrett. And I, I, I'm i open to moving R.J. Barrett, not because I, oh, he, he's this massive spacing issue, and because of that, it nukes the offense, and it, you know, if we could spread the floor even more, like, what could that do for Brunson, and, or more specifically, what, how that, how could that help Randall, and, and all the, like, I don't think that is, like, if you want to move R.J., I'm open to that discussion. I think it's like, a worthwhile discussion. I think moving anybody in this roster other than Brunson is a worthwhile discussion. Like, I'm open to that conversation for literally anybody. But I'm just against the idea of, like, well, you know, I do think the Knicks ultimately have to pick one or the other to take the next step, but I don't feel like the decision is about... I mean... I'll put it, I, I don't actually think the, the Knicks don't need to make a decision between one or the other. Like, I think they need to move Julius Randle regardless. I think that needs to happen. Now, can you convince me that they should also move RJ Barrett and that should be a, that would be a productive move? Potentially, depending on what the return is, I'm, I'm open to that. But I'm not interested in a conversation of like RJ or Julius. It's like, to me, they're not, they're independent decisions that you have to have to like make a choice on um like they're not they're not tied together they exist on this roster together and i do think they have issues coexisting which we've seen over four seasons fucking i can't believe four seasons together um but like i don't know if i'm even phrasing this right but i i just think that like the idea that that you that the choices between one or the other is is wrong like i i think the choice uh, is really just about Julius to me, and if you if you want to keep Julius, then I don't really think it matters who you get to play the RJ Barrett role. Like I, I don't because I don't think you're you're going to be a competitive contending team. That's just like how I feel about that. Um, maybe that's wrong. Maybe I'll look like a fucking idiot in a year from now, and the Knicks are 
you know, holding aloft a Larry O'Brien trophy with Julius Randle leading the fucking parade. I would love to be wrong about that. But um, I, that's that's just where I'm at, where, like, I think you're just – you're you're not – I don't want to say just shuffling the deck chairs on, of the Titanic because I don't think we're, like, doomed to fail in that in such an epic way. But, like, I do think you're just – you're rearranging the deck chairs um, without really – pushing your ceiling where it needs to be as long as Julius is here. Like Julius helped like Tibbs. I think Julius maybe was necessary to a point, but I feel like we've reached that point. And as long as he's here, we're just going to keep hitting a ceiling um, with this team. You brought it up earlier. So I have to ask the question. Do you think it's possible that the problem isn't well, not the problem? Cause they have to, they have to get better in their own ways, but do you think it's pro- do you think it's possible that there's something that could be unlocked by just uh, by just getting rid of not getting rid of by trading Mitch and having Brooke or Staps as the five? Do you think that there's a ceiling that we're not uh, giving enough credit to, and Mitch Mitch's limitations could be the issue? Is that possible? Uh, I think with Chris Stapps, it's interesting. I'm not sure that you can win a championship dedicating that much shot creation and usage to the front court. Um, but five out, and he's a true five out guy. Like teams have to honor him out there. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I think it's possible. And, and if again, like if they are going to keep Randall, like this, this is what I mean. If you're going to keep Randall, then you need to push the boundary somewhere. And yep. I don't think like to me, if you got Chris Stapps, that would benefit Julius. That would benefit Brunson probably offensively. Though I think Brunson's kind of just like immune to anything. Um, it really doesn't get talked enough about enough. There, there was a, there was I forget who who's the guy who wrote the uh, not, who's the guy who's on the the podcast with the 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 dunker or the dunker spot with Nikias. Who's the who's the, uh, Steve Jones? Who's the other? Uh, okay, so Steve Jones tweeted a few a few a month or two ago, and, and I really he's great. They're both great. So this isn't you know shade or anything, whatever, but. He tweeted that he didn't understand the Jalen Brunson most improved player conversation. And he was like, isn't it just the same player with a bigger role? And I was like, well, wait a second here. He had like Luka Don, he had Luka and the best spacing imaginable last season. And then he went to a team with no spacing and no Luka and all of his numbers went up carrying like double the usage. How could he have not improved as a basketball player if, by doing that? Like what Jalen Brunson did this season is honestly unbelievable. It, it was he, he was just so good, and I mean, you said this earlier on the pod. It's just we're so fortunate to have him on the Knicks. Yeah, um, we really are, and and so like I think he would benefit. I think RJ would benefit. Like all the, and that so so if you want to like if you don't want to change the coach, you don't want to move off Randall. I don't think, like, I don't think, I guess that's probably the best way to put it. Is Zach Levine a better offensive player than RJ Barrett? Sure. Are there, would there, would there be a benefit to that to the other guys in the team? Julius, Brunson, Grimes, whoever. Sure. I'm open to that possibility, reality, whatever. But that doesn't change the fundamental context of the team. That doesn't change your structure, how you operate as a team. That's just improving what exists. And my issue is the infrastructure, the systems 
that we deploy offensively isn't good enough. Like, it's not enough. And so if the Knicks want to evolve and they need to evolve, if they're not going to do it with changing out a, a massive high-usage player like Julius, if they're not going to do it by changing the coach, then getting a player like Chris Tops, um is interesting. Like, it is a way to go about that. And, like, to me, if you do that and you want to keep Randall, then then you actually do need to move RJ because the usage is just not going to be there for those four guys. For Brunson, Julius, RJ, Kristaps, there's not enough usage. Like, Kristaps is not just a... This is what makes him, I think, a very intriguing player and honestly maybe an underrated one at this point is, like, he's not just a stretch five. Like, we actually saw this in Dallas, right, where they exclusively used him as a spot-up shooter, stretch five type dude. He's more He can do that, obviously. That is a weapon, but he's capable of way more. He's improved a lot uh, as a scorer inside the arc. That's actually the biggest improvement he's made over his career. But you need to give him the ball. like You need to give him actual usage to do that. So you do need to move RJ in that scenario if you're going to keep Randall. Um, so, but like... So that's what I mean. Like that would actually that would alter the team, right? That would alter a lot about the team. And is that does that make us a better team? Doesn't I, I don't know. I can't answer that question. I my I would suspect I suspect that you would be roughly the same in the regular season, but you'd be way more you'd you'd be a lot more capable offensively in the playoffs. That's what I think would happen. Um, is that enough? Are they good enough? I don't know. I'd be lying to you if I'd said I think getting Kristaps would turn us into a fucking contender. Like, I don't think that. Um, but I do think it's like an interesting possibility. It's a, it's it's interesting to think about. And I again, like, if they're going to keep the coach, they're going to keep Julius. Um, there's only one way that I think you really can alter the way the team plays. And that is by getting a five who Tibbs will play at the five, trust to play the five, and opens up the floor. Yeah, I mean, you you nailed it. Like, I think the the the, the underlying sentiment of what you're trying to say is that the Knicks can't just run it back a hundred percent and bet on internal improvement. There has to be something, whether it's a structural change, whether it's a roster change that forces a structural change. There has to be actual development from how the team is both constructed and how it operates on the court. Because if they just try to do the same thing as last season and they're like, Oh, okay, well quickly and RJ, they're young, they'll get better, which I believe they will get better. And like, it just, we're going to reach a point next season where it's like, Oh shit. We we did have to make a change and like, well, it can be like the I Celtics. Mean, saw- it can be like the Celtics thing, right? Right? Where like like so, I know I talked about like Celtics fans are insane about Missoula, but what I think is they're misplacing their frustrations. Like, and I know they're it's not it's not like they're just focused on Missoula. They, obviously, they've you know I've seen fans, like Celtics fans, and media guys criticize Tatum, criticize Jalen Brown, whatever. But like, I think that group is just stale. I think they've hit a ceiling with those guys. They need to like, and that's what I mean about evolution. Like, I think when you keep hitting a ceiling with a team, you, you can like, maybe it's the coach change the coach. They've changed the coach, changed the coach twice. They've even changed the fucking GM at this point. 
if you don't like maybe it's a roster thing maybe you need to take a risk of changing the roster composition and like the fair pushback to what we're talking about is well how do you know the Knicks have hit a ceiling because you know they just got Jalen Brunson this is obviously better than the 2020 2021 team their young guys can get better like I think those are fair that's fair pushback I can't prove it it's just my gut feeling that you they need to change the roster composition they need to change their style of play like that's just how I feel about it now maybe they play another year and to your point like I I don't think they will suck I don't think they'll be bad I think they'll have they'll probably be a similar team to what they were this year but when you if it's like if you see the same thing playing out you're probably going to be like okay well maybe maybe like the the issues stand out more right like this year was so fun in a lot of ways because we were like this is fucking great like we're winning a lot of basketball games this is much better than i expected we you know we're the five seed in a very competitive east we win win a first round series against a team that traded for the guy that we apparently should have traded for like this is fucking great um but like i think what you don't want to do is get complacent and you don't want to think all we need to do is keep doing the same things. Like you basically never win a championship that way. Every team that wins a championship makes critical roster moves um, after they hit a proverbial ceiling. And I mean, even the Nuggets—they traded for Aaron Gordon. That was a yeah. Risk. And and to be fair, a lot of times you don't know you're hitting a ceiling until you hit the ceiling, and you're like, oh, I guess we do need to make changes. I'm just projecting forward, and I do think that there's a ceiling with this team. And for that reason, I feel like I'm sympathetic to... It's hard to make... It's really hard to improve from where the Knicks are to getting to a contender level. I I understand that. I'm appreciative of that. And I think that's a challenge for the front office to figure it out. But that effort needs to be made. And I think, like... If you don't make that effort and all we see this offseason is like, you know, maybe like, I'll, I'll say this. I do think that there's something to like the Zach Levine stuff. I do think RJ is not their guy. He's not their guy. Like they didn't draft him. They inherited him. I think if you look at their preferences, you know, and Jeremy did a really good job on uh, the KFS pod outlining this. Like if you look at their player style preferences on the perimeter, especially RJ doesn't fit all of those like he's not a capable pull-up shooter i mean that's actually like and you know we can talk about that too but like that's just a thing he's not a capable pull-up shooter he's not a high volume pull-up shooter god knows that uh he's very much like an in the paint rim attack player he's not in a high efficiency scorer he's not a particularly great decision maker yet i do think you know there's obviously signs we saw in the postseason he has that in him to be a better decision maker and how that can open up things for him and the, the team or something to think about. But like, I think there's something to the Levine thing. But if all we do this offseason is like, oh, we swap RJ out for Levine and we trade Obi and we get a different backup for, like, I will be... I think the team might be better. I will go into the season believing that there is a ceiling, though. A firm ceiling. And I will be a little bit... I will be uh, unenthused about the roster, like the the decisions from higher up about what needs to be done to fundamentally improve the team moving forward. 
is probably the best way to put it. Don't, don't, don't you think they also have to – part of what we're getting at here is they have to guard against another – where they were at, like, the 2022 trade deadline. Because right now, especially with the new CBA coming up, because right now I would argue if you look at the Knicks' assets, uh, their draft capital, and just the contracts on the books, I would argue that the Knicks are ahead of the eight ball and in a good spot. But we've seen how fast that can flip. And so you have to sort of project forward and be um, and anticipate, okay, what what is the downside of waiting? What is the downside of seeing if this is the ceiling? Well, the downside is, is it gets to the trade deadline of 2024, and the Knicks have regressed from a team success standpoint, and the conclusion is, oh, shit, Okay, Jalen Brunson's our piece, but we need to we need to make some moves to, you know, improve the roster in a way that fits together better and raises the ceiling. Except all of a sudden the rest of the league has figured it out too. You know, like they're they're caught up too. And all of a sudden, you know, RJ Barrett's trade value is a little lower, or Emmanuel Quickly's trade value, if you want to trade him, is because he's extended, is a little bit lower. Um Julius Randle's trade value. Oh, wow. So he really is Jekyll and Hyde. Okay, we're not going to give up a lot for him. He's not, they can't only sell us on the positives if they're trying. You know, like, I think that's something you need to guard against. And you need to, you know, there's a range of outcomes to everything. And I think you need to be aware that it is a very real outcome uh, possibility that the Knicks play this season and they do get small individual improvements from their young guys. But there's just a low ceiling to what they're trying to do right now, and real structural changes need to be made. And I feel like the front office, it's on the front office to anticipate that and guard against it. Yeah, and I think um, the other thing to consider is the Knicks aren't going to be the only team in the league, or in in this case, in the East, that make changes to the roster or that are trying to improve their roster. Like Other teams are going to make improvements. Um, and there will be a team that improved. Like, look at a team like Orlando. Okay. Like, they finished the season strong. They have a lot of young talent. They have two lottery picks in this year's draft. Like, who's to say they can't jump up and be, be, be fight for a home court in the East or top five seed, top six seed in the East? They can def, they can do that. Like, that's possible. These things exist. Like, the Knicks are not the only team with young guys on the roster that can improve like that, that's not how it works it's not it's not like the knicks have this dynamic for improvement and the rest of the league stays static um unfortunately that isn't it uh so like you that that's why it's important to always be looking to improve the roster and that's why like like when i say i'd be unenthused if they just you know go get levine and get a better different floor it's because i think they need to change their roster composition and how they play but like at least in that scenario, I would feel like, okay, while I disagree that they just need to run it back with improvements, that at least the front office understands that like they have to be aggressive about making improvements. They can't just like sit on their laurels and be like, oh, well, RJ will get better and quickly will get better and everybody will get better and that's all we need. Like, no, you have to be proactive um, about that shit. And so like that's very important. And I do think like being proactive like i think they have been proactive uh i don't think they've always done things in the time 
that we as fans would like. And those things have worked both well and poorly in different instances. I think they they clearly made the right call to not shift off Julius last offseason, given what it would have cost. But I still feel like I did last offseason that it'd be a mistake not to make a move. And it's actually probably less understandable to me now in the sense of his value should exist. Like he he should have actual trade value now, given the season he just had. So like to me, given that, given that he has two years left on his contract, this is actually the the best time to trade him. Um, this is like his best value you're gonna get most most likely. So um that's that's kind of where I'm at. I, I did want to go back to uh RJ Barrett. I wanted to I I I like really have thought I've been thinking about this a lot and I'm curious to get your thoughts on it because like, look, I think that he can make significant improvement as a player just by making better decisions, which we saw in the playoffs. Like we saw him make better decisions offensively. We saw him just compete harder defensively and that changed a lot for him. But I really, I think about this now a ton is like, if he is a zero, as a pull-up off-the-dribble shot creator, then what is his ceiling and how valuable is he? And, like, I, I think about that just, like, looking at these playoffs, right? Like, we can say, well, Jimmy is a guy who's... Okay, fine, but, like, Jimmy also does have a mid-range pull-up game. Like, he, he gets to that quite a bit. And he's also just... <laughs> he's a better defender than RJ's ever going to be, and that's not really... That's not a knock on RJ. Like, he's just really like a fucking tremendous defensive player you know that's like there's not a lot of guys that are ever going to hit that level defensively regardless of what their physical tools and dimensions are um butler's just a spectacular player but like if that's the kind of like family tree that rj is in he's not even in the ballpark as a pull-up shooter and i just wonder like how I, i don't know i i this is like a genuine question because i don't have I don't feel great about it one way or the other. I don't like putting a ceiling on what RJ Barrett can be at his age, but like I like if he's not a pull-up shooter at all and he, let's be let's be real like he has not been a pull-up shooter at all so far in his career and he hasn't shown much growth if anything. He's actually in some ways I think this is like the right decision but it's interesting about what it says but like he's really cut back on pull-up shooting entirely. Um I'm not sure what you're ultimately supposed to do with a player of that ilk unless he makes real tremendous improvement as a post player and in that case you really need to get a stretch five but um yeah that's kind of like my open-ended question to you so are you asking what his ceiling is or what like why like is it just like i mean i guess my question is like if you don't if he isn't if we feel if like if the front office is like we don't think RJ Barrett's gonna be a pull up shooter at all just based on what he's shown mm-hmm. like and there's a ceiling to what we can be as a team in that scenario then should they trade him? If they think he's never gonna get better at pull up shooting and they don't plan on changing structurally, yes, they should trade him because that means he'll never fit into what they want him to be. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's fair to say, so first of all, I think there's a ton of unknown here. I basically think that 
we've never really gotten a real look at who RJ Barrett is as a basketball player for reasons out of his control. That sounds like, you know, just an excuse because I'm whatever, like a homer. Oh, it's Frank Barrett, you know. Um, but I mean, the truth of the matter is, is he is one of the few young players in the league to be drafted as high as he was who hasn't been, aside from guaranteed playing time, catered to, like, at all. Like, the Knicks have made no effort to recognize his skill set and try to build around it. So, like, am I 100% sure that if he was drafted by the Grizzlies, number two overall, that they wouldn't have done a better job? Like, um, being proactive in building a team that, caters to what he needs to flourish no I actually I'm 100% sure they would they would have done a better job um and so I'm not ready to say that RJ Barrett can't do x y and z yet because I just don't think that he's been really allowed to flourish with the exception of the back half of 2021-2022 um I think his rookie season was just standard rookie season in a really, really bad environment with no space and no, they said nothing really until I, I, I think Mike Miller did a fine job, but then the season was cut short. Uh, the second season was like a weird season where it was Tibbs' first year. Randall had the all NBA season and he was kind of like the second option who was sort of a role player. Um, and so like, he, but he wasn't really the second option because Derrick Rose eventually was traded for and Alec Burks. And yeah, it was just a weird season. And he shot 40, he, he shot a lot of catch and shoot threes. And then once Randall started doing Randall stuff in the third season, when he sort of checked out, that was really when RJ Tibbs was like, okay, RJ, you give us the best chance to win right now. And he, he sort of let him. Um, And so I think that that RJ who's a little bit more polished, not a little bit, a lot more polished. I think he can be an, a player who impacts wins for the Knicks, even in this structure. And I'm not even 100% sure he has to become a really good pull-up three-point shooter to do so. I think he's that good at getting to the rim already. Um, I just think it's a matter of, and this is going to be brought back to Randall, I think it's a matter of putting him in a better environment to succeed. And there are a ton of people, a ton of people, I interact with them all the time on Twitter, who basically say, RJ's done nothing to deserve being catered to in that way. Why would we do that? Why would we risk the floor of doing that? Like, Randall's a way safer second option. We know what we're going to get. And I'm sympathetic to that. And if the Knicks front office feels that way, if they feel like, okay, we like RJ and we, you know, like whatever, but we're not willing to say, okay, we're going to clear a path to you being the guy after Brunson. And we're going to put you, we're, we're going to acquire players where maybe the spacing is a little bit better. And we're going to, you know, we're going to try to incentivize you to uh, soften out the, the edges in some of your weaker areas, which he should already be doing, but, you know, give him more specific, uh, a more specific development path. If they're not interested in doing that, then to answer your question, yes, I think they should trade him because I, I do think his trade value right now is as low as it's been in his entire NBA career based on his contract and the season he's coming off of. But let's be frank, 
if he has another season like last season and we get to the trade deadline and the front office is like, oh, shit, this isn't working. You think his trade value is going to go up? No. This is So this is another area of what we were just talking about with being proactive and with anticipating what is likely to happen. And unless RJ makes huge individual skill leaps that allow him to overcome the structural and schematic shortcomings that I believe are holding him back, unless he makes a huge leap, I think that if things stay the same, we're going to get to a point next season where we're just similarly frustrated with RJ. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I've really thought about this a lot and I feel less like, I don't think trading RJ is a transformative trade. Like I don't, there's like, it's very, very, there's almost no player that I see on the market this off season. Then like players can come, who knows? Maybe somebody becomes available that we don't think about. Like maybe fucking Devin Booker hits the market for some reason, right? Like we never know with how these these things work. But like, short of a player like that becoming on the market, I don't think you can swap RJ out for any wing type, and it's a transformative trade. But in his case, I, I'm sorry, I have to say it again, like because I, I say it every time. I think Macal Bridges would be transformative. Maybe. I think the Knicks would be. I, I think the Knicks would be close to title favorites next season, even with Tibbs and Randall. If you switched RJ with Macal Bridges, yeah, I just will never get there. Um, but, but like, I think regardless of my point is more like I don't like with Randall. I think you should trade him because I feel that would be transformative, and I think they need to make that transformation. But leaving that aside. I'm like, I don't know. I'm very mixed on trading RJ because what you saw in the playoffs was encouraging. And I do think he deserves credit for it. I think the credit has become a little bit too much in terms of like what he did. Like, I'm not trying to downplay what he did, but it almost feels like the way I've seen people talk about it is like, you know, he was like fucking Kawhi out there or something like that. Yeah, it's 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 a natural reaction to be to being so happy that he didn't play like he did in the regular season. That I just feel like it's very natural to overrate it. I agree, it's become overrated, but like you, we just you just have to find the sort of uh, soft middle middle ground between understanding why some people are overrating his playoff run and still being willing to acknowledge that he was good and that was encouraging. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I guess like what I'm getting at is as good as all that is, like I, I really don't know. Like I don't know what I'm of the belief that the most important skill for any perimeter player is like off the dribble shooting, individual skill. Like that's just I think it's really, really important. And I think you saw that you know, if you want to see how important it is, go watch every shot that Jalen Brunson took in the playoffs. You'll see a lot. Um, you'll see how valuable it is. Like, I don't know that I... I believe in R.J. Barrett to get better. I think R.J. Barrett's decision-making will get better. I do think the defense will come back to some... Not, I don't think he's ever going to be an elite defender. I think that is gone. But, like, I think he can be a good defender. Like, I think he can reach a solid defensive level. Um, but like the pull-up shooting offensive upside of like, 
can he become an efficient 25 point per game type guy? I'm not really convinced of that. I don't feel great about that because of the lack of skill development I've seen as a, again, just off the dribble shot maker, playmaker, whatever you want to call it. And I don't think that he should be in a rush to trade him, but I'm definitely more open to trading RJ now than I have been at any point um, in his career to this stage. Like, it's important that if you trade him, it's for a player you feel really confident does improve you. And I guess where I'm at with Zach Levine is like, I get the numbers, I get the fucking EPM and his true shooting and his three-point ability and all that shit. I get it. But like, I don't, like, I'll just say, like, this is one where just my gut instinct is he is a guy who is a player who is less than the sum of his parts. I think there's something with him that isn't captured in some of the impact metrics. I could be totally wrong on this, by the way. I, I sure as shit was wrong that Nikola Jokic, oh, the metrics are missing something. His defense is a huge problem, actually. Like, I was fucking wrong about that, right? Like, you, I, I could definitely be wrong about Zach Levine. But when I see, I think I think that's the first time, Schwinn, that I've ever heard you do your funny like nerd voice, making fun of something <laughs> you've said. <laughs> you always do it about opposing people. Yeah. That's really funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but like, like I think, you know, there's just something when I see his on-off stuff and all, for the entirety of his career. When I see that, I'm just like, I, I don't know, man. Something is just off. I don't quite get it. Maybe I'm wrong. So like. The where I stand on the Zach Levine thing is like if it is the type of trade that Jeremy suggested, which is basically like RJ Barrett, Obi, Fournier, of a first round pick and something else, like some maybe a protected first. I wouldn't do that, but I understand if they chose to do it. Like I don't think it's an unreasonable decision, is where I'm at with it. I wouldn't do it. Now when you talk about players who are cut above Zach Levine, then I am more, I'm interested. Like I am interested in Devin Booker. You know, I'm interested in, there's not too many of these guys, by the way. So it's, it's like Zach Levine exists in a very interesting place in the NBA hierarchy among shooting guards, because like, there's just not that many good shooting guards. I mean, t- fucking today we have Alan Hahn in the morning talking about training for Bradley Beal. Like I want no business I don't want to get in the Bradley Beal business. The guy's never healthy. He's on the wrong side of 30. His contract lasts until like 2026, 2027 or something like that. Uh, It's a massive contract. I think you're going into a dangerous place with the second apron with him. Um, I'm okay on Bradley Beal. Zach Levine's obviously a little bit more interesting to me because he's younger. He is, his contract, while expensive, is cheaper in terms of, uh, you know, average annual value. Like, it's at least interesting and I understand the idea. But like, Man, if I gotta, I, I just in my heart, I just don't believe in that move fundamentally changing much for the Knicks, even if I get why people do. I will say, and this is me trying to like play devil's advocate and sort of argue against what I deep down believe. So I, I agree with you. I, I I think that like if you just made that RJ trade for for Levine. I think that we would reach a point next season where it was like, wait a second, why is this team less than the sum of its parts? 
Um, why, why is the hole not really working? But I do think that it, it would be a ceiling raiser because he bring, Levine would bring the one thing that we were just talking about that the Knicks don't have enough, especially under the uh, – assuming that, you know, Tibbs is back and the structure isn't going to change. If Brunson doesn't have it, it, it's somebody who gives Brunson a freaking break, man. Like, I believe that – I'm just going to bring Emmanuel quickly into this. I would actually bet that if you gave both Levine and Emmanuel quickly equal minutes in the starting lineup with the same four other guys, the same Knicks four other guys, so let's say it's Brunson, uh, quickly Grimes, Randall, Mitch versus Brunson, Grimes, Levine, Randall, Mitch, I would bet – or a decent, I would bet that the quickly lineup would have a higher net rating and just be more successful. That's just how I view basketball. I believe that when you have multiple uh, initiators like the Knicks have in Brunson and Randall, you need guys who can impact winning in other ways, in other non-scoring ways. That's how I view basketball. And I think quickly just perfectly encapsulates that. I think there's a reason that every lineup he's in has always been successful because he is sort of a jack of all trades. If you have a lineup that needs initiation that is light on it, quickly can run the show. But he also can fill into lineups and still bring his maximum output or impact without touching the ball. And we saw that last season with Jalen Brunson when he played with I'll look it up right now, but I'm pretty sure the trio of Brunson, Randall, and Quickly had like an insanely high um, on-off. But anyways, my point is is that even if I would bet on that, even if I do think that the Quickly lineup would be more successful across a regular season, there's something that Levine brings um, from an initiation standpoint that the Knicks could use in these big playoff type games. And so the question becomes, how high does that raise the ceiling? How high does uh, Levine, does integrating that Levine skill set there raise the Knicks ceiling to? And I sort of land where you are. I'm not sure it would become high enough to be worth it. Um, So that was sort of, yeah, the, Brunson quickly ran a lineup was plus 5.4 per hundred, which like across 725 minutes, that's, I mean, yeah, it's really good. Um, So, but yeah, I mean, I'm with you on Levine. I just, I do think there's something there. I do think that it needs to be about more than, you know, who is going to produce the the best net rating during the regular season. I think they're, I I think the Knicks are missing something that another star can bring. The question is, what level star is it? And I, I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't think it's Levine. I'm just trying to look at it from a, a sort of uh, nuanced angle and try to. I, I do think there needs to be some acknowledgement that the Knicks need to do some. Like they need to get Jalen Brunson some help. I guess is where I'm trying to go with that. Yeah, um, it's. It, or it could just be RJ. Sorry. Yeah, it, it, it could, it I mean, could, R- it could R- be RJ. Yeah, it could be RJ. I'm just like, I guess the way I look at it is like, how many guys have shown such little growth as off the dribble pull up shooters 
and develop that after, you know, what, four or five years in the league. I don't, it's probably not a big list. Funny enough, Jimmy Butler might be high on that list because uh, he was not some hot off the dribble shot creator uh, right off the bat in Chicago. Um, so, like, it's possible, but there's not many examples of it. And that, I, I'd be lying if I said that doesn't concern me. Like, it does concern me. Um, and I think it should, it's probably a reason why the Knicks, I suspect, are open to trading RJ Barrett. Um, not, I don't think they're aggressively peddling him around the league, trying to like unload his contract or something. But I think if teams call about RJ Barrett, they're not exactly, uh, shutting it down immediately, right? They're probably open to listening to offers. And, and we know that at some point they were open to, you know, um, you know, they, they were open to including him for Donovan Mitchell. So, like, we know that if they feel they can upgrade at that two spot, they're willing to include R.J. Barrett in those trades. Do they view Zach Levine as an improvement over R.J. Barrett? And even if they do, do they think he's worth R.J. Barrett plus whatever other shit Chicago would want? I don't know the answer to that question. Um, but if you ask me in a vacuum, do I suspect they would prefer to have Zach Levine than RJ Barrett? I would say yes. I do suspect that they do. Uh, Bradley Beal? Sure. But I don't think, like, he doesn't exist in a vacuum. And I think he's a bigger risk than a guy like Zach Levine, who, you know, look, people talk about his injury stuff. Zach Levine plays. He plays a lot of games. Bradley Beal doesn't play. Yeah, Bradley Beal doesn't play. Bradley Beal has been like a fucking theoretical player now for three seasons. Um, and to your point, yeah, Zach Levine plays a lot of minutes. Zach Levine has also played for Tom Thibodeau, and he's spoken positively positively about his experience playing for Tom Thibodeau. If you're sticking with Tibbs, we know that he's not exactly everybody's cup of tea, and we know he's not exactly a guy that everybody in the league is dying to play for. Having a guy who's actually like spoken well about his time playing under Tibbs, yeah, I mean, look, he... It's definitely not an. It's not a non-factor, at least. What 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 did you think of um, during that during Jeremy's uh, thing on KFS about Levine? What did you think about the little nugget that John added about um, using the trade as a way to also acquire Caruso? Um, I don't see how that's even realistic. Like, I don't know why Chicago would just like. Like they're not going to just throw in Caruso. You're going to have to like pay for the acquisition. Um, so like, am I open to that? Sure, but I I feel like then you're going to get into a a cost like a price point that I'm not sure is comfortable or makes sense for the Knicks. Unless you think like if they think getting Levine and Caruso for like let's say they were effectively replacing RJ and I don't know fucking. IQ, heart, somebody in the rotation. Like if that, if they believe that makes them a championship team, then I guess it might be worth it. But like, do you think that? I don't. And I just, again, like I don't think Chicago's just going to include him in the deal. Like you're going to have to pay on top of that. Yeah, I assumed it would be draft capital. So like the Knicks would go into next season with Caruso and like the deuce role, and it would just be you know, um, like the bench would be Caruso quickly. Uh, Hart and Hartenstein, and then the starters would be Brunson, Grimes, Levine, Randall, Mitch. Sorry, say that again. 
I assumed that it would just be draft capital that would be thrown in. Yeah, it would, but if you're getting Caruso, he has to take somebody's minutes. Right. So like So it, it would be it would be it would be Obi's minutes he's taking. So now you're playing small. Um Well, Josh Hart's the backup power. I mean, player. yeah, I mean it's fine. I'm actually that actually does intrigue me. Um Yeah. I mean, I'd be open to that, sure. Like I'm not saying no, but like Again, I just, I don't know. The Levine thing is just such an interesting conversation because I don't, like, he's just such a weird player to me. He's a player who tests my, like, core beliefs about player eval in a way that I think is challenging. Um, because I mean, he's 29, he's 29 years old, and he literally, his team just won his minutes for the first time in his career last season. That's concerning. <laughs> Yeah, um, it, it's it's like uh, yeah. I mean, what he? How old is he actually? Twenty nine? Isn't he twenty eight? I mean, not that it's like a huge. Difference, he he's twenty eight. Um, I don't know when he's. Oh, okay. When he turns twenty nine, he'll turn twenty nine this upcoming season. March tenth is his birthday. Um, I mean, it's not okay. like a huge fucking difference either way, but like. You know, Levine's contract, I'm just looking at it now. Uh, hold on one second. Levine's contract right here is... He makes $40 million next year. He makes 43 the next year. He makes 40, 46 effectively in 2025-2026. Then he's a player option for $48.9 million in 2026-2027 when he's 31. So you're basically getting him for potentially four more years. Um, but guaranteed at least three more years. It's not... If you're going to trade R.J. Barrett for a guy, at least make it a guy that is locked in on a contract. And locked in on a contract that isn't... I think that $50 million plus range is where you're really going to get into some dicey territory in the next year or two when Brunson hopefully gets an extension, Randall potentially gets an extension, quickly will get an extension, hopefully again. But like... You're going to get into dicey territory. So, but like, I don't know. I, I, the Levine thing is, if it if it happened, I'd probably just be like, I kind of get it. I'm not sure about it. We'll see what happens. Because um, that's kind of just what he is to me as a player. Like, I don't know. I just don't know with him. Yeah. No, I get that. I do think there would be like initial excitement just because there's. It's always exciting to see new things. You know, like even even if you're a little apprehensive about it i do think that there would be it would create a buzz um but i think right now i unless the trade was just really generous like if the bulls just basically said like hey we're getting rid of our quote-unquote big three which by the way the fact that the knicks were the one who got the mid three label like come on um but if 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 the bulls were like all right we're gonna get rid of Vucevic, we're gonna let derosen go play for a real contender and we want to trade Levine for what we can get for him. And, you know, it didn't cost the Knicks too much outside of RJ Barrett and matching salary. Okay. Like I think, obviously there's a point where you just kind of have to pull the trigger, but uh, I agree with you that I'm not overly enthusiastic about the idea of trading RJ Barrett for Zach Levine. And I would, I would prefer if it was 
a little bit higher tier of a star if, when we start having that conversation. Um, yeah, I, I think that's where I'm at. But like, look, this is the course the Knicks have set where they're not going to bottom out. They're not going to tank. So you're going to have to take some risks and you're going to have to take, you're going to have to look for value in places where maybe other teams don't see the value you do. They did that with Jalen Brunson. Like, you know, like, I, I mean, and I know they had a personal relationship with him and all that, but like at the end of the day, they rolled the dice on a player that I and I'd say like the vast majority of people, even the people that were optimistic about Br- about Brunson and what he could do, I don't think if you asked even those people, like, do you think Brunson would be this? They would say no. Like, they would be like, no, I did not think this was what was in on the table with him. And maybe they make a similar bet on Levine and they get rewarded for it. Um, I don't know. It's possible. Like, I do think there's some low hanging stuff with Levine that is intriguing. Like his. He should definitely shoot more threes. I'll tell you that. Like he, he definitely should shoot more threes for a guy that hits at the clip he does. Um, you know, he doesn't take enough. You know, he shot he took seven point one threes per game last year. That's less than Julius Randle. He's a thirty eight point four career three point shooter. He was at thirty seven and a half last year. He really picked it up after the all star break. Um, like this is a guy who should take more threes for sure. That's very low hanging fruit that you can probably approve. And the Knicks have shown that given their like adherence to analytics at least as far as the shot chart is concerned that's probably something i would you know if you're if you're a levine supporter like trade for levine guy that's probably one area you should hone in on is like yeah this is something the knicks can definitely improve on um this was like considered a down year for levine he finished with a 60.7 true shooting uh his efg was 55.8 like that's excellent stuff. He's been over the last three years of his career. He's made two all-star teams, by the way. He's at 61 and a half true shooting. So this is like a pretty consistently efficient score. Um, he's finished with a higher efficiency than RJ ever has in all but two of his one, two, three, four, five, six, nine NBA seasons. So like, it's safe to say that, you know, I talked about less than the sum of his parts. If nothing else, on a very on a raw level, he's a, going to be a more efficient scorer than RJ Barrett. Um, like that's something you can say. He's not as frequent a driver as RJ Barrett, but he's a capable driver. Um, he is very explosive when he gets around the rim. I think he got his explosiveness back after the All Star break too. He looked really good to me when I watched him after that point in the season. Um, but yeah, like you know, any move they make is going to carry some risk. And like, this is kind of why, this is why I think like the idea that there's no risk in keeping Julius or in keeping RJ for that matter is stupid. Like there's risk in anything they choose. And look, we've lived this with, with Julius Randall. We lived this. This guy like had an All-NBA season, then turned to shit and then went back to an All-NBA. Like we know the risk of like just keeping him around and, and that's it. Um, so look, the next time a big offer. It almost feels like we're being gaslit. Like. And I hate that expression, but like, <laughs> it's just, we went through, so, you know, th- there are people, there were people who, when Julius started to break out in 2020, 2021, who were like, maybe we should just trade him now. You know, like we're, we're not a very good team still. And this is his peak value. And it was like, no, we got to We got to hold on to him. He's, you know, how often do we get an all-star? Yada, yada. Then we have that great run. And it's, oh, franchise player, got to resign him, got to extend him. Like, he's, okay, that's fine. That was reasonable. 
And then he has a terrible season, and it's, oh, well, we can't trade him. His value's too low. We're not going to get back what we want. And now his value's too high. Like, it's just, it almost feels like we're stuck in this endless cycle. And, like, okay, like, I guess if he retires a Nick and he just goes down as an all-time Nick, I hope we get some fun playoff runs out of it. I don't know. I don't even know what we're supposed to root for if there's no circumstance where you're even allowed to consider trading him, which it kind of appears that's where the front office is right now. And and I think that to me that's – I'm not even – I'm, I'm with you that I think in my gut I think the Knicks would be better off trading Julius Randle. But I'm definitely not standing here, sitting here like, oh, my God, it's a colossal failure if they don't trade him. This is, oh, what a disaster. Like, we don't know what kind of deals are out there. We don't know what those phone calls are like. But based on all the report reporting and just word of mouth, it seems like they just have no interest in it, which to me is, to me, that's disappointing. Because I outside of Brunson, I think they have to be open to anything. Yeah, I'm totally agree with that uh and i just want to say like i've seen a lot of people talk about like I, i've got a lot of pushback on like i don't think the Knicks should make a massive star move like i've never said the Knicks shouldn't make a move like, i don't i think the Knicks should make moves i think they should try to proactively improve the roster i'm just like i like the cat stuff fuck cat i don't want fucking cat like that guy boy, like look, oh my god i can do the, like, the people the who trade for cat yeah, I, the, sorry. I just I just, want, I just want to say real quick: the people who want to trade for Cat don't even know what position they want him to play for the Knicks. And 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 here's like Zach Levine. I'm like, I, I'm I'm like genuinely a person where like I'm a hater. Uh, everybody knows this, but like, but like I like enjoy and appreciate guys who show growth and all that type of stuff over their careers. Like. I feel like Zach Levine is a guy who I've definitely called like a career loser or something like that. Um, but he's a guy that I think in the right scenario, like a Wiggins, right? Where you're like, all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, like, no, this guy is like, he's fucking useful. Like Aaron Gordon, just, we just saw it with him, right? Like, holy shit, no, this guy can actually, he can contribute. When you put him in the right context, he can contribute to a highly competitive team. I think Levine has that potential. Cat, fuck cat. The cat does not have the like. I'm so out on cat. Again, like you said, people don't know what position he, you want him to play. He doesn't know what position he should play, can play. He can't anchor your defense. I'm fucking out. Like if you if you make any move for a big guy, at least give me a big guy that can is a quality defender because I already have the offensive high usage big who doesn't defend well. Like I don't need to to pay a premium to go get a, a better version of that in cat. Like, and I don't know, you know, the, is he, a, I'm sorry. Yeah, is he a better, I, version? I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know that. I don't even say that with any confidence. And even if he's a better version, he's also somebody who's missed a lot of time over the last three, four years after being like an iron man for his first few years in the league. Right. Like he's missed a bunch of time over the last couple of seasons. So it's, I don't know. I'm just out on cat. I don't want to, I never want to root for cat on the Knicks. Uh, he's probably the player in the league that I could talk like I I could could not talk myself into Cat. I don't know if there's a a player that I could less talk myself into than Cat. Um, he's just everything about players that like he just is not a he's not a guy that uh, Poo will ever be uh, appreciating. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Um, but like yeah, like I think the Knicks need to make moves to improve the roster. I'm just I would just caution against like you know like these guys that people are talking like the top end names on the market this summer that seem to be 
getting floated out there, right? Which are like DeJounte Murray, Cat, uh, Levine, whatever, Beal. None of these guys warrants like they're none of them to me are like we have to get that player. Like they're none of those guys warrant that. And you know, I think if Donovan Mitchell was on the market this summer, I don't know if I would say you have to get him. But given what we saw with Brunson, even with my concerns about the defensive limitations of those two as a backcourt pairing, man, I, I don't know. Like <laughs> your offense might just be like, if you're going to again, if you're going to stick with Tibbs and, and all this stuff, like M- Mitchell is a guy who at bare minimum, we know, can get shots up and has had efficient playoff runs in his career. Like, I I think I'd be more willing to give up a premium in terms of draft capital than I was last offseason for the same guy in Donovan Mitchell. Um, I'd be more open to that this year. But uh, I don't think he'll be available this offseason. Maybe I think he will be available next offseason, though. Uh, So we'll see. Um, But yeah, like, be be proactive. Don't feel like you need to get any of these guys to the point you're sacrificing, you know, you're you're sacrificing picks that you would ultimately need down the line to get into the mix for the true elite superstar caliber guys if they ever hit the market. Um, is kind of where I stand. Can I can I uh, can I ask you one last question before I go? Since I'm not sure I'm going to talk to you on here again before it happens. Yep. Do you think the Knicks trade into the NBA draft? Yeah, I def- I think they do. Um, I think, if nothing else, I feel like they know they'll want a cost-controlled, low-salary um, player on the roster, just from a cap management perspective. And I think, you know, I don't know if Obi's going to go out in that trade, but I do think they would want a, a rookie-scale player to replace and effectively reset Obi's contract in a way. Um that's what I think. I'd be I'd be pretty surprised and I'd actually be annoyed if they don't make a pick in this year's draft. Like they haven't they didn't draft a player last year. I mean they drafted Keels, but come on, give me a fucking break. Um they drafted Keels, mm-hmm. whatever. I think it's important and even maybe more important than it's ever been, uh, that you are always keeping young developing talent potentially in the pipeline. And so um, I hope that they do. And I think they will. Um, so yeah, that's where I stand on that. To, to sort of follow up. Do you think it's possible that if the Knicks make a big trade, whether it's, I know you said you don't want it. I'm just throwing names out there, whether it's cat, whether it's Levine, do you think it's possible that something like that happens on draft night? Or do you think that if it happens, that'll happen, you know, more in July, August type? Obi? Or are you talking about Levine? Sorry. Uh, like, if the Knicks make a trade for, like, a, a the trade, like a big trade, like Levine or Cat, do you think it's possible that happens on draft night, or do you think that'll happen more in July or August? I think that can happen around the draft, maybe draft night, or at the start of free agency. Like, I I would be surprised if a Levine trade drags into August or something like that, the way that RJ, or sorry, Mitchell. that Mitchell did. But, I, I mean... The trade market is always so weird. We don't know what the fuck the Bulls want to do. Um, I will say, like, if you put yourself in the Bulls' shoes, where, like, we know that they ha- they have effectively had a uh, a hard cap for years because of uh, their cheap-ass ownership. 
But like, yeah. given that, um, but they also don't seem to want to rebuild. I think trading Levine for an RJ Barrett led package, whatever that is, I could see that being appealing to them um, because it it does one. It's a cheaper contract than Levine. He's a much younger player than Levine. It's not a punting. It's you're not punting on trying to win ball games now, um, but you're not like it's a it's an it's an interesting pivot for them. I think it's an appealing pivot for them in some ways. Um, but I don't know. Can I can I just say that I th- I think that uh, well let me. I, I, I'm not. I'm not going to say that they should just do a full-on fire sale, but I think that they are low key in a better spot. Like I know they don't have a pick this year, which that sucks. Um, but I think they're low key in a better spot than it seems outside of their big contract guys. Like I'm actually strangely high on Kobe White. Um, I thought he I like finished Kobe the White. season really. I thought he finished the season really strongly, especially on the defensive end. Um, Patrick Williams went from the league's most overrated player or young player to kind of slept on, and I think he's a good player, a good young player. I have a feeling and that think, uh, when you, I have a feeling Patrick Williams is going to get extended this offseason, and I have a feeling that number is going to quickly morph him back into being overrated. Yeah, all right, um, I, I can see that, but but my point is is that you know that's somewhere to start. And if they were to, to me, I, I think if they were willing to, again, they don't have to blow it up. But if they were just willing to say, okay, this core isn't winning, let's add another young guy or two to this mix and and really go into next season. Because I, I think they're done giving picks to the Magic after the season, right? Yeah, this is it. This is it. This is the end of the uh, very so, very good Vucevic trade. They, they don't have that incentive to try and be as good as possible anymore to try and, you know, because their picks don't matter. If they go into next season, they're like, all right, we're going to focus on Kobe. We're going to focus on Patrick Williams. We're going to focus on, let's say they brought in RJ. Let's say they somehow got RJ and quickly from the Knicks. You know, that let, let's not act that's, like that's, that's impossible. That's not impossible. I think it's impossible they, for reasons that have, like, I think the reason why RJ Barrett is the main name being floated around as like the guy the Knicks would move off of is one, yes, that I suspect the Knicks feel like he was I mean look, all the data points to this, this is not like a controversial thing, that he was one of the more ineffective players in the team last year. The most ineffective player in the team last year in a lot of ways. Um so I think they would they could suspect like, oh yeah, we can improve that thing. But the other reason is he is now on a real salary and because of that, using him as a make weight to get into the player class, the, the caliber of player that you're trying to acquire is a lot more palatable. And I think the reason why they end up keeping, why quickly will stay and why I think quickly will get extended is he is the guy that you probably use as the main outgoing piece down the line, or at least one of the main outgoing pieces down the line to aggregate salary, to acquire the level of player that you ultimately want to acquire. So I think, both of those guys, like I, I know that's a very like, it's a very like corporate Gordon Gecko way of viewing player, uh, like building out your roster. But that's just what I think. I'd be like, I, I would be shocked. I'd really be shocked if they ever moved RJ and quickly for a guy like Levine, like for Donovan Mitchell. I'm just, I, well, 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 I'm just, well, I'm just, well, what I believe is there's a human element here, and like it or not, Leon Rose 
knows that their front office is known right now as the one that didn't pull the trigger for Donovan Mitchell. And so I think that if they get to the 10 yard line and the Bulls say, all right, well, we're willing to part with Levine, but what, what, what do you like? We will throw in Caruso and you have to throw in quickly too, you know, and, and they're, and they're willing to make that work. Caruso is a Tibbs guy. And I don't think that's impossible is all I'm saying. And but whatever, my point is that I think the Bulls are actually, could actually be in a spot where they go into next season and they say, okay, we're going to try and make our 2024 pick as valuable as possible. And we're just going to focus on these young guys. We're going to focus on white and Patrick Williams and a couple other guys. We, and, and I actually don't think that that's that bad a spot. And I think the only thing keeping them from that is coincidentally their best players and their cheap ownership or the front office that's, still thinks they can contend. Well, I don't even think the front office thinks they can contend. I think the front office... I, I, I've, i like, read enough about the Bulls where, like, basically their attendance had dropped off to levels that were, like, not acceptable to ownership, I think. And so part of the motivation to, like, win now and Levine's window or whatever was to get fans back in the fucking stadium. And so I, that's why I think, like... Like, I think R.J. Barrett gives them a chance to do, like, a soft reset, right? Where it's, like... You're going to take a step back, but you're not tanking. Like, you're not, like, just full-on going to, like, you know, you're not trying to actively lose games. To your point, like, I agree. I think Patrick Williams is better than probably consensus is right now. I like Kobe White. I think he's just, like, a solid player, actually. I was He's one of the few guys on that team I was, like, genuinely impressed with last season. Um, I thought he had a yep. good year. And, like... Yeah, like you can probably get something okay for DeRozan in terms of assets. You can probably get something okay for Vucevic. Or like, you know, maybe you just keep Vucevic because he's like a good old head veteran guy to have around. Who knows? But like, yeah, I think And from a and from a profile standpoint, even though he's not what they he's not worth obviously what they traded for, he does help open things up for young guys who need space to operate, yeah. you know, like, so he's not going to help you win games, but does he sneakily alleviate the burden on a Kobe white to give him more space to shoot or to get into the paint? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, I think I'll, I'll like, if you had, if you had to, if I had to guess is RJ Barrett and Nick when the season starts, I think, Right now, I'm leaning like slightly no. I'd probably say like 45%. Or I'd say like, I think it's more likely he's not a Nick than he is, but I don't think it's a huge thing. Like, I think it's like, I'd say like 55, 60%. I think he's not a Nick. Um, and I think, I think part of that is because like, yeah, Simmons and Russillo talked about this on their pod yesterday, but like, you know, as kind of, I know that if you listen to like the first hour of this pod, you're like, wow, these guys are like so fucking depressed about this team. Um, but like, I think the East is open. Like, I think the East is there. You know, Miami got out of it. And I don't think, I don't think if you ran this playoff back, like 15, like if you ran it a hundred times, how many times is Miami getting out of the East? Like three, you know what I mean? Like, I I don't think they're like, it it was not a great, it was not a high odds thing for them. But like, if they don't make a change, what is their over under next season? 43. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But like I, like I think this Boston situation with Jalen Brown, like my just thinking about them is like they've ran this team multiple times. They've had these two guys as their primary scorers, offensive options now for about four seasons. 
like I know it sounds ridiculous because they lost in the finals and they got to a conference, they've gone to two conference finals, and they've come up short. But like, I really think that it's. I don't know if there's a guard in the NBA that exists in the very narrow pathway archetype, whatever that you want to phrase it as, that can optimize and make Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum like get them get them over the top because fundamentally those guys need the ball to be effective and like they don't really have a great flow together like they they do a, a lot of like what we do where it's like a take your turns thing they're just a little bit better at they're a bit better at it because those guys are better talents potentially i mean i actually think brunson is every bit the offensive player either of those guys is better than Jalen brown for sure but anyway um you get what i'm saying and so like I kind of feel like that has run its course, and they should probably move off Jalen Brown instead of giving him that ridiculous supermax. That's just me, though. Like, I would seriously consider going after Damian Lillard if I were them. I like really think that getting like I would really consider doing like Jalen Brown and then one of their guys, you know, one of their salaries or whatever for Damian Lillard. I would offer that straight up. Um, I think, I think you like to me Tatum is the guy. He's way better than Jalen Brown. I don't even think that's I people that argue that like it's a thing is just insane to me. Tatum is on a totally different level than Brown, um, but like Dame, like I think one's, one's a top five, top fringe, top five, top ten player. The other's like what third, top thirty. Yeah, and I I just think like if you're trying to like I think Tatum is good enough that you need to, you should be trying to win every season, and if you're trying to win every season, I think Damian Lillard is better next season. Than Jalen Brown, I think Jamie Lillard is better for the next two, three seasons than Jalen Brown. Even as as he gets up there in age, like I'm pretty in on the idea. Like if I were a Celtics fan, I'd be really wanting to get out of the Jalen Brown business and moving into the the Damian Lillard business. I would also like, hey, if that fucking Simons number three package is out there, I'd offer Jalen Brown for that. I think I think Simons has the potential to be a star scoring guard. I think that number three overall pick gives you an an opportunity to get another high ceiling player in. And I'm just of the opinion that they need to change course or not change course, but they need to make some real changes, not just on the fringe changes. And I think it's stale there. I think those guys have been together, not just Jalen Brown, but like it's, you know, it's Jalen Brown, Tatum, Horford, smart. Right? These guys have been together for so fucking long. I just think you need to shake things up. So, like, this is my point, though. Like, I think Milwaukee is trying to do some kind of, like, they have to do probably some kind of soft reset around Giannis as they move forward. Uh, Middleton doesn't look like he's the same guy he was a couple years ago. Uh, Brooke Lopez is a free agent. Who knows if they're going to retain him? So you've got that. The Miami thing, again, like we talked about, is that is that really replicable? Probably not. Philly... Is Harden going to stay? Even if he does stay, how fucking are they? You know, how good are they? Do you think? I think the Knicks could definitely make moves to get past Philly. Um, you know, who else is a contender? Like Cleveland. I don't know. I, they definitely need to make some real changes. We saw that in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, you know, the Nets. I think they're way far off. Orlando, I like, but they're young. They're not going to compete for a title right now. Uh, you know, there's like. It, the East is there, man. Like there's opportunities to get better. And that's kind of why I do like, I feel like if they, I do think they feel Levine is a better player than RJ Barrett right now. And I think they also feel they have a real opportunity to compete in the East. If they think Levine is good enough that he gets them 
into that up next tier, I think they'll take it. Um, and that's why I suspect, or I feel a, a little bit, you know, I'm like, I'm very up and down on this, but I think gun to my head right now, if I had to bet one way or the other, I would say RJ Barrett is not a Nick to start this upcoming season. Do you think that Zach Levine is the worst player that, the, not what you would do, do you think that Zach Levine is the worst player this Knicks front office would trade RJ Barrett for? Or do you think that there would be a willingness to trade him for a player like OG Ananobi? Uh, I don't think they would do it for OG Ananobi because he's going to hit the free agent market next offseason. And I feel like <laughs> a lot of RJ's value, just the contract he's on, is like fair market at least and has the potential to be a steal, right? Like, it's a good contract, and you're going into a CBA that we know that the restrictions are going to be very different. Um, I think Levine is probably the worst player. And, like, I don't know, like, is Levine worse than OG and Obi? I think a lot of people would be split on that. I personally think Levine is definitely better. Really? I think Levine is Yeah, I think Levine's. I think most people would say Levine is better. I think most people would, but you know that there's those weird OG truthers out there that are like, yeah, <laughs> fucking Kawhi. Like, all right, man. Um, but yeah, like I, I mean, if the Knicks if the Knicks traded RJ for OG, I'd be so pissed. It would be it would it wouldn't be to be Kawhi. It would be to they would be trading for OG because they clearly see RJ's role as the one Tibbs has etched out for him as this three and D guy who you know sometimes attacks. And let's be honest, OG profiles as that player much better than RJ does. Um, I think RJ has a much higher ceiling than Ananobi does. Um, I wouldn't be thrilled about that trade at all, but I don't think I don't think the front office would be trading for Ananobi because they see him as a star, like they see Levine or like other people see Levine. I think they would be trading for him because it would, it would be a concession that he's like this super role player, or could be the super role player in a way that RJ hasn't shown he's capable of being. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, like, yeah, I just, the OG thing will never make sense to me. Like, I, the reason why I think Levine is at least, or at least it's at least palatable to me, and I've been out on Levine for a long time, but like, the more I've looked at his numbers, the more I'm like, am I, am I missing something? I guess I'm missing something. I don't fully believe it in my heart of hearts, but like, the data does say he's better. Okay, fine. But like, he at least like is an actual, shot creator offensive hub that like and that's been my entire thing is like I'm not trading RJ for guys that I don't think like I'm not trading for OG who's cool he scores 17 points per game like what am I like do I give fucking care like no I don't care about that I'm sorry um his defense is great but guess what the Knicks had a great defense they did just fucking fine on defense in the playoffs without OG and Anobi like I, I don't think what he gives you on defense actually matters that much to what this team needs in the playoffs Zach Levine might he might he has the he has the potential too um and yeah it is what it is uh all right we've been talking about this for a long time long enough time uh jeff thank you for coming on as always uh let the people know where they can find you and plug anything you'd like to plug um i continue to be frank barrett 11 9 um i don't have anything you know coming up for strickland um i still write for carolina hq and for invention of dreams one is a website that focuses on North Carolina sports across the board. Uh, I recently wrote an article about Ryan Gerard, 
who went to North Carolina and played golf and qualified for the U.S. Open. Uh, I'm going to write something about Guardians of the Gal, the new Guardians of the Galaxy for Invention of Dreams. Movies are basically my biggest passion. I love them so much. Um, so you know, check that stuff out. But I'll, I'll you know mostly just Strickland stuff. We're we're still doing great. Uh, Great work across the board. Um, I tweeted the other day that Colin wrote a really great recap of the Liberty game. Uh, really, really impressed with our Liberty coverage uh, across the board from Gigi to Matthew and now Colin. They're all just doing such great work. We've got great merchandise. Um, I ordered like three or four things. I'm flying out to Las Vegas at the end of the month to play the World Series of Poker main event. I'm going to be wearing Strickland stuff. Uh when I'm playing. So, you know, this stuff is super comfortable and it's great. So yeah, check it out, check it out, everything we're doing. Cause we're really proud of it. Yeah. Uh, I will echo all that. Uh, also to mention this show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. So thank you to them for sponsoring such a wonderful show and product. Um, I have done a plug personally. So just again, I'll echo everything. Uh, Jeff just said all the WNBA coverage for the Liberty has been really, really good. And uh, Prez is cranking out more draft stuff, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, aside from that, that's all. So I hope everybody has a great start to the week. I hope everybody enjoyed Miami losing yesterday. I know I thoroughly did. Another season in the books without, let's go through this, without the Celtics, the, the Lakers, the Bulls, the Heat, and... The Pacers and the Nets and the Sixers having not won a championship. So that's about a quarter of the NBA that I'm always actively uh, rooting against and living in fear of succeeding. So anyways, that is our pod for today. Everybody has a great week and I'll see you on Friday. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.